0: Hello, thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Irene Efren Podcast with me, Irene Efren. I interview women around Southeast Asia to bring their unique stories and experiences to empower other women in this region. Yay, we finally made it. I'm so happy. <laughs> I
1: know. <laughs> Thanks for being flexible too. Oh, <laughs> no
0: um, so I actually I've read your book. Um, she smells of turmeric, and I think my review is oh, coming yeah. pretty soon. I loved it. Thank you so much for writing it, and I oh, especially you. love the poems.
1: <laughs> thank you. I'm Natasha Sundak. Uh, I, I go by Tasha as well. Um, I'm the author of a contemporary fiction novel called She Smells of Turmeric. Um, it came out in April of 2021. So it's about yeah, nine-ish months old right now. And the book essentially tells a story of an Indonesian-American girl who moves from the U.S. to, to Jakarta. I have a similar background, but I am not the protagonist. But I've also been writing. I've been writing here and there for more seriously for about eight years now. So it's definitely really exciting to have released the book kind of in my seventh year of, you know, having starting to write seriously. Before fiction, I was mainly a poet and a translator. And I also headed a few publications um, in the journalism department. But I would now say that more confidently that I'm focused on fiction and poetry as my main stride. So that's where I'm at right now. Wow. Did you say eight years? About eight years. Yeah. That's a long time. I know. I was thinking about it and I was like, wow, it really has been eight years. It didn't, definitely didn't feel like eight years. That's a good thing. <laughs> I wish mean, you're enjoying it. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. I think so. <laughs> so how did you get into writing? Honestly? It started when I was basically a little kid. I pretty much grew up as an only child, even though I did have half siblings because they were a lot older than me. And growing up, my parents would only let me play games or watch TV on the weekends. And I would only get like new game sets or whatever um, if after I get good grades. But books for my parents were always available. Like I could get them anytime I wanted, however many books I wanted. So naturally, because I was restricted in the number of games I could get or like toys. Um (laughs) I I just, you know, and I didn't really have quote unquote friends back home. Like, you know, obviously like when I go home, right? Like I didn't have siblings to play with. So I would gravitate naturally towards books. That's kind of how it started. So like I started writing obviously like not seriously, but like I started developing this passion since I was six. And when I started elementary school, my parents let me do it just as a hobby. And yeah, I was just so fascinated by stories, I guess, because I would just keep reading and constantly write after that. And yeah, that's mainly how I got into it. But I never fully pursued it seriously as um, a more of a career stance until about ninth, 10th grade. And that was... Yeah. I mean, I'm a senior in college now, so that's about uh, eight years ago. Yeah.
0: That sounds like a very young age to, to
1: start pursuing something seriously. <laughs> I mean, I needed it for college applications, so that's how it started. But then, um, okay. But then it sort of developed and I was like, hey, actually, this is something that I think I can start to monetize. And it's something that I can, I guess, build up into something bigger than just a hobby, you know.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Talking about growing
1: up, did you grow up in Indo or in the States or So I was born in the States, but I grew up in Indo and we would go back and forth to the States cuz we had family there. I went to school in Indo. In Jakarta. I'm assuming. In Jakarta, yeah. I see. So
0: from college applications and stuff, how did you get into a more um, like creative direction like poetry i think is a very creative and very personal direction
1: mm, yeah poetry was an interesting one actually because um i started writing poems in i think 2016 that was when i attended a creative writing program at columbia honestly at that point i hadn't written any poems at all like in fact i hated it like i hated reading poems in really I just never could understand them like I, I just I know ne- it, it never clicked with me I think that's something that sits with a lot of mm. traditional readers that don't know poetry they would hate it because it, it just doesn't click but yeah during that summer because it was a creative writing program um, we started off with poetry because it was a creative writing program at Columbia I was forced to write it and when I did it actually I, I really fell in love with it and I think it's because when like, growing up, I could never keep a journal to save my life. Like I was just so bad at committing to mm-hmm. a journal, but poetry became like a mini journal for me. I think that's why I really fell in love with it. And it was a space for me to write um, what I was feeling without judgment. And I think mm-hmm. I like the medium of a poem because it was cryptic enough for me to write about my life so that people don't know what exactly it's about if that makes sense like even if i publish yeah. it yeah. <laughs> yeah. so it's like um i could spend all of this time writing but like you know people would never know what it's about and that was great for me the more i practiced the more i got good at it and then i started submitting my work to literary magazines and poetry anthologies And then I applied to more writing programs. And actually, the following year, I got into like my dream program at the University of Iowa. And that was also such a great experience. Um, I loved it. And I think definitely Columbia and Iowa helped me shape who I am as a writer today. So I'm really grateful to um, those programs as well.
0: It's such like a parallel to... Music programs, like there's all these great summer music camp yeah, programs. Yeah, exactly.
1: And like there's a lot of them in the US because they really try to develop young creatives, uh, which I think is unfortunately missing mm-hmm. in Asia. So let's hope that more of them pop up. In the years.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, there's barely like summer programs in, mm. in Indo, like holiday programs because there's no exactly. summer break. <laughs> but um, serious holiday programs no, are yeah. rare, yeah. hard to find. Okay, cool. So what are some of your favorite
1: poets and authors? I don't really have a favorite poet. I think because it, it just changes all the time, like at some point. Uh, but mm. I really like the classic poets I think the ones that you study in school. I don't know. I'm just kind of like a sucker for like old school poets. At some point, I was obsessed with Emily Dickinson uh, and okay. then Sylvia Plath. Recently, I was obsessed with Elizabeth Bishop. I think her writing is very mm-hmm. unique. Um, it's also very modernist. I also like that guy who wrote The Red Wheelbarrow, William Carlos Williams. I really like him as well. But usually I don't, I'm not a big poet poetry reader, if that makes sense. Like I'm not like reading a poetry book right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've been really into memoirists. So Roxane Gay is by far probably my favorite memoirist. And recently through a class, I've discovered Alexander Chee who is a, mm-hmm. yeah, he's an Asian-American nonfiction writer. Um, I really like Alex Chi because he really captures the feeling of in-between, of like, you know, being racially and ethnically in-between really, really well. Like, I don't think I've read a piece that captures this feeling better than Alex Chi. So for fiction, I really like Sylvina Ocampo, who's, I think, from Argentina, um, but she writes kind of gothic Uh, short fiction (laughs) okay yeah it's a very like obscure genre but she does it very well Um, and I'm currently reading a book called Breasts and Eggs by Mieko Kawakami oh yeah Uh yeah and that is a really really good book Um, and like her writing style is impeccable Uh, so that she's definitely a new favorite even though I haven't even finished the book I already know she's a new favorite for me
0: (laughs) (laughs) can you share three books that really impacted you while you were growing up Mm. until now? I know you've shared
1: some. I think my first book, okay, I guess like not really my first book, but I would say in my childhood, I really liked the Geronimo Stilton series, which is, I think everyone read Geronimo Stilton because it was basically a picture book. And I read a lot of uh, Roald Dahl as a kid. I loved Roald Dahl. I read all of his books. Yes, yeah, he's amazing, <laughs> like, amazing writer. I think being exposed to a lot of these like generic Western books um, made me feel, which is sort of the crux of She Smells of Turmeric, right, and like why the book exists, but it did make me feel very inferior as an Indonesian and like a non-Western person if that makes sense Um, and growing up I don't even Mm -hmm. remember seeing any Asian books maybe because like people in my circle didn't read them but like we had scholastic book fairs at, at my elementary and middle school and we didn't have any Asian books like they were all just Western books so I had my first taste of Asian literature. And I think this is the one that really impacted me. It's The White Tiger by Aravind Adiga. I think it's a movie now with Priyanka Chopra. Mm-hmm. And it, it's basically, it's set in India and it highlights a class struggle that as an Indonesian, I was more familiar with. And I think that book really opened my eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I, read it, I read it in like 10th grade. And, the, and that book really opened my eyes to see that, hey, like, it's possible to write about your country and have it sell, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. And that sucks that that revelation was, you know, um, at a very late stage. But it just comes to show, right? Like the lack of diversity in literature. Um, I mean, thank thankfully now it's like getting better. But um, the white tiger definitely kind of opened my eyes in that way. And I guess the third book I would probably mention is something I read recently. It's called White Ivy by Susie Yang. I read it just a few months ago, and the book till today still really stuck stuck with me, because it basically tells a story of this Chinese American girl. Um, her family immigrated from from China, and she and like they they don't they don't come from a good family and um, she's just trying to navigate how to how to grow up but she's brought up with these values that aren't exactly good because her family comes from like a lot of poverty so it shows it kind of shows this kind of tension between like what is good what is bad and how how a young girl is corrupted but at the same time how the world is not fair so it's very it's a very interesting take and a lot of people say it's a really good tale of I guess like to empathize with immigrant families in America Um, so that also really struck something in me.
0: When I was like I think we're probably about 12-ish a little bit more years apart when I was growing up I also read a lot of uh, western books and yes there's definitely a lack of diversity. Um, I gravitate more towards fantasy um and you have even less of a diversity I think it's all like western fantasy <laughs> books um, right in fantasy genre mm-hmm. um, and I think that when it was probably when I moved back to Indo that I started reading non-western books and that was comics oh okay okay yeah, manga, manga. Oh manga. And so it was all like Japanese, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I said I didn't read in Japanese, but it's all Japanese culture. Yeah. Um and I wonder when oh okay, and then it was it was Dewey D De Listari. Mm, yeah. Mm, yeah. And then she started uh to become a hit. And then the, I think that was when like uh, when I started to get more into reading Indonesian books.
1: Mm, I see, I see. Okay, so there was yeah. like a catalyst moment in that sense, yeah,
0: yeah. But I'm I'm seeing a lot more, um, especially like growing up, coming of age literature that's diverse, yeah. Um, now, so yeah, it's very good now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, including a book. Uh, she smells of turmeric. <laughs> so one thing I found fascinating about "She Smells of Turmeric" was the structure. And you had um, a bit of poetry inserted like in the beginning of every single section of the books. How did that come about? I very rarely see this in a contemporary Yeah,
1: fiction. I started writing poetry first before fiction. So I developed my craft very much um, in poetry. She Smells of Turmeric is my first completed fiction piece. So it was a very much like a big outside of my comfort zone thing. Uh, because I started with poetry, I wanted the final piece to reflect a part of myself at a time when I was reflecting on a lot of these issues. So a lot of the poems pre uh-huh. were existed even before the book existed or even before I got the book deal. Like it, it, it was just, it's been marinating for years. So I just thought it was fitting given the topic and given, I guess like my own personal growth as well, that each part start with a poem. I think most of the poems, with the exception of Ottoman, which is the first one, most of them were written like years before She Smells a Turmeric. I think Ottoman is the most recent one. And even that was like late 2019. But most of them, but all the poems are like, they predate the book. And I guess I was inspired also by epigraphs that open books because I've always been fascinated by epigraphs. They really set the tone for the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So I just thought like, might as well use these poems as epigraphs as well. And they, they are mine. So uh I know pure well like very well how they would fit into the narrative if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well that's one thing that I wanted to ask you also at first glance it seems that it doesn't uh-huh. it's not really connected. Um but then it sets the mood yeah. like the mood fits you know, So how did you choose which poems to attach to which sections of the narrative?
1: Oh, that's a good question. I think I, I really worked with my editor on this. It's something that I struggled with as well. And I just remember, at least for Ottoman and the women um, at the ice cream parlor, which are the first two poems, um, for Ottoman, mm-hmm. I was so frustrated by colonialism at that time. I was just like, I don't know. I was just really thinking about colonialism and how screwed up it is. Um, and so that's how the poem mm-hmm. came about. And I decided to open the book with that poem because I figured, you know, in a sense, this book exists because of okay, because of how yeah. whitewashed the you know, media and literature is. So, yeah, which is why I was like, it's so fitting to just start this book with like Ottoman and the woman at the ice cream parlor. I chose that to open the to open, like, the book, like, the first part of the book, um, just because I wrote it as a portrait of a friend of mine, um, who's, like, a very mysterious person, um, and I wrote it mm-hmm. as, like, a kind of, like, a an, an homage to her, if that makes sense, um, as this person who's mm-hmm. very, I guess, like, aloof, very mysterious, don't really know what's going on with her, and I kind of wanted to enter that sense of mystery, I guess, into Um, Mm -hmm. into the book going in because technically the book is a portrait of Cecilia's life right so um, Mm -hmm. I wanted to reflect that as well um, in the yeah in the in the opening poem the rest just kind of fell in naturally Um, in fact the way I did it was I didn't know which poems I wanted to throw into like the book but I just looked at my mm-hmm. index of poems that I've already written and just picked and cho- chose a few that vibe-wise fit, mood-wise fit, and mm-hmm. like I guess message-wise fit. So the last second to last poem which is Sunset is very much like a hopeful look right towards like the future which mm-hmm. is kind of how the book mm-hmm. ends as well. That's not really similar right it's yeah. like the book kind of ends in a more hopeful note. So
0: no I don't
1: think at this point like <laughs> yeah I was like wait I don't know if I spilled the book <laughs> um yeah so yeah yeah it was more it was just kind of all these factors and like how they fit in and somehow the poems just kind of landed themselves naturally um throughout I the know. narrative yeah
0: one thing that that you share with your protagonist and then, and also me, and I'm still thinking about this is this whole in between kind of state or feel, Eastern and Western, but we're so, like you said, whitewashed.
1: How do you navigate that? That is a very tough question. It's definitely different for everyone, right? Um, uh-huh. I think for me growing up, I was always really stuck because I would be here, um, like in the US and uh-huh. feel that I'm not American enough, because people would point yeah. it out, because, you know, uh, Americans are very, are a lot more forward than Indonesians are, right, yeah. so they would point it out, they'd be like, oh, where are you from, like, your skin is white, but you don't, you, you don't look white, you don't sound white, but then I go back home, and then I speak English, and everyone's like, mm-hmm. oh, you're white, so it, it's, yeah. but it's like, no, I'm not, and it's, I think for me, it's a little bit more complicated because I also don't look purely Asian because I do have um, Dutch heritage. So I can pass as either, you know, like either race, I guess. So it's kind of this weird mind game of like, which character do I play and at what point? And once I officially moved to the U.S. for college, that's when things sort of started to I don't want to say get worse, but I guess when my identity crisis started to accelerate a little bit, because I really Mm. felt the othering from both sides um, a lot more. Because I obviously I I identify as Indonesian, I would never tell anyone that I would never say that I'm American because I never felt American. I grew up in Indo, but um, as someone who calls themselves Indo, I know too much about America. If that makes sense, like I'm not a tourist in America. So it's sort of this yeah. weird, like, what am I? Who am I? How, and how does my self-identity and my external identity, like what I project to other people, how do they kind of come together into this one box? But I guess the more I grew up and the more I, I studied about like race and intersectionality, because um, it is a part of my program here, mm-hmm. I sort of realized that there's really no point in boxing myself up because that just mm-hmm. limits who I am and what I can do. And I think that mm-hmm. revelation itself was very eye-opening and also um empowering in a sense that, you know, no matter what labels are put on me, I get to decide who I want to be mm-hmm. and I get yeah. to decide how I portray myself to the world.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think that was that was the biggest reckoning I had um during my time in college.
0: Yeah. Wow, that is very empowering. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, it's nice. (laughs) Thank you.
1: (laughs) So did writing uh, She Smells of Turmeric help in that a little bit? Uh, Yes and no. Yes, in a sense that I think I processed it on a brain level, Mm -hmm. but not I didn't like put it in my heart, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So I never internalized it. But I mean, the book came out and like people had those same revelations, but Uh it was like I never internalized it until after I finished writing it and like once I was marketing the book and like trying to position it that's when I was like oh wait a minute um, also it time didn't time. help because yeah exactly but yeah it didn't help because I when I wrote She Smells of Tumor, uh, when it was written published and marketed it was in Indonesia I think uh, that's also why like, I didn't really have that space to think things through
0: uh-huh.
1: um, so yeah
0: Well, it's only the first of many.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I hope so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, She Smells of Turmeric was heartfelt. And I can really sense the deep thinking and emotional nuances put into the book. Thank you so much for writing it. And also thank you for this time and answering my questions. I think there was some really good stuff there that would give our listeners
1: a lot of things to chew on. Of course. Thank you so much for having me, Irene.
0: And that was her unique story and experience. If you would like to share your voice with me, contact me at irenefren.com. That's A-I-R-I-N-E-F-F-E-R-I-N dot com. Subscribe for more courageous voices from women all around Southeast Asia.